Thank you, Bruce and Linda. Turn your Bibles again, please, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. As you turn there, I want to express my gratitude for those of you that were supported our revival services. Brother Tozier did an outstanding job preaching the word. Many of you were able to come to some of the services. Some of you came to all the services. Thank you so much. Your presence meant so much. We had a good crowd for each service and just wonderful messages for God's word. I pray it was a blessing to you and that many lives and homes be changed because of the services, the messages from God's word. Our theme for this new year is rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. I preached a couple messages on this the beginning of January. I focused on the first phrase of being rooted deeply. It comes from the Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, abounding therein. So today I'd like to begin a series of messages on the second phrase of standing firmly. Standing firmly. And basically how to stand firmly in the midst of storms of life. All of us go through storms. When I use the word storm, I'm referring to adversity afflictions, problems, difficulties, trials, tribulations. Life is full of them. Someone once said, either you're just come out of a storm, or you're in the midst of a storm, or you're going into a storm. Life is full of storms, and we all have them. I think again of our missionary, Bruce Klingeman. Think of the storm he's in right now, the loss of a son that drowned. How devastating that would be. I said no parent should have to go through the loss of a child, whether it be through a miscarriage or through the loss of a child that was born and later on in life. It's just just a tremendous storm. Many of you today are going through storms. I know about some of it. And maybe a storm of loss of a loved one, a parent, an uncle, a child, a loved one, a storm, that storm, that storm can be devastating. There's also other kinds of storms. There are storms of problems with our health. So many of us have problems with just our health itself. And I found the older you get, the greater the storm. It's just part of life. And so if you're young, enjoy your health because you get older, it may not last long. But it is a, can be a storm, whether it be even financial, even marital, even a storm on the job. It's just part of life. So today I'd like to share with you from God's word how to stand firm for God in the midst of the storms of life. And so I'd like to read our scripture again in Luke chapter 6. We read it once. I'd like to go through it again. And then after we read it, go over to Matthew and look at Matthew's account. So let's begin again in Luke chapter 6, reading Luke's account, then turn to Matthew 7. We have extra insight on this passage from Matthew, as we well do as Luke. So let's begin in Luke. Let's read it again. Follow along with me, please. Luke 6, verse 46, page 1441. Jesus was speaking here, and he said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built his house and digged deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, 
could not shake it, for it's founded upon a rock. But he that heareth doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built his house upon the earth, against which the stream beat, did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now keep your finger in Luke, please. Go to Matthew 7, please. Look at Matthew's account of the same story, and we have some extra insight on this. Matthew chapter 7. Be page 1351. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Look in chapter 7, this time verse 24. See if you notice any differences. Matthew said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like, liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I like to look at these two passages and, first of all, begin a thorough examination. In this passage, the Lord tells us how we as Christians can stand firm in the midst of the storms of life. Many of you are going through storms right now. I want to share with you how you can stand firm for God. First of all, let's look at a thorough examination. In this passage, Jesus gave a sharp comparison or contrast between two men, two men that were building a house. Notice two kinds of response. Now go back to Luke, please, if you would, please. Back to Luke. Two kinds of response. We saw this both in Luke and Matthew. The first one was a response of one of obedience. One of obedience. In Luke 6, 47, it said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and what? Doeth them. So the first response from one individual, this group here, is a man who heard what Jesus said and obeyed. The second response we see in verse 49 is one of disobedience. Both heard the word of God, one obeyed, and one did not. Luke 6, 49. But he that heareth and doeth not. So we have two kinds of response, one of obedience and one of disobedience. Now, as we cover these, what I want you to do is think about yourself and your response when you hear the word of God. Is it one of obedience or one of disobedience? Number two, letter B, another examination or a comparison. We have two kinds of response now, two kinds of foundations. Two kinds of foundations. Luke 6, 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Verse 48. He's like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid a foundation upon a what? Upon a rock. So first, uh, two foundation, a foundation built upon a rock. The second one, the second foundation, the foundation built upon the sand. Or it says in Luke, the earth. Verse 49, please. Luke 6, 49. 
But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that is without a foundation, build his house upon the earth. So we have two kinds of responses, one of obedience and disobedience, two foundations. And he likens the foundation of a person who obeys, he built his house upon a rock. A man who disobeys does not do what God says. In fact, it says he hath no foundation because he built his house upon the sand or the earth. Matthew says this in. Next, we not only have two kinds of response, two kinds of foundations, but also two different results. Two different results. When the storm came, did you notice both experienced a storm? Those who obey as though, well, as those who disobey both experience storms. First of all, the house built upon a rock. When the storm came, it did not shake, it did not fall. Remember that. When the storm came, those who built upon the house, those who obeyed, did what Christ said. And when the storm came, it did not shake it, it did not fall. Verse Luke 6, 48. When the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Matthew seven twenty five, which we read. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and built upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So we have the first result. A person who heard the word, obeyed it, is likened to a man who built his house upon a rock, and when the storm came, it didn't shake it, it did not fall. Now remember that. Now the second result is the house built upon sand. It fell and was ruined, and both were great. It fell and was ruined, and said the great was both. Luke 6, 49. Against, it says, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Matthew 7, 27, we read this already. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we have, first of all, a thorough examination. Had two responses, one of obedience, one of disobedience. We had two foundations, one put upon a rock, one built upon the sand. We had two results. When the storm came, one stood firmly, did not shake it, did not fall. The other, it fell and was ruined, and great was the fall of it. Now, I want you to notice here, we began with a thorough examination. Now look at two important observations. Now, I'm going somewhere with all this. Don't let me lose you, okay? We had a... a thorough examination. Look at some observations from this. Something we covered already, but I don't want you to miss it. First of all, what these two men had in common. First of all, both heard the teaching of Christ. They heard Christ's teaching. Evidently, they sat under the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. They both heard the word of God. Now remember that. Next, they both built a house. Both of them built a house. Both that heard the word, both built a house. Number three, what they had in common, they both experienced a storm. I find this quite interesting. Sometimes people, even preachers, seem to indicate that if you live for the Lord, you won't have any problems. 
How many find that not to be true? And that, so both of them both heard Christ's teaching, both built a house, the one who heard and did, the one who heard and did not do, both experienced storms. In fact, I personally believe those who obey the word of God, Christians who serve the Lord, sometimes have greater storms. And the reason why, as a Christian, if you do not live for the Lord, you're a carnal, backslidden, you're no threat to Satan. You don't threaten him. You don't bother him at all. But the believer who decides to live for Christ and serve the Lord and honor him, he's a threat to Satan and what Satan wants to do. So I believe he brings more problems, more difficulties. Because notice both of these men, the man who heard and obeyed, he had storms, just as much as the one that heard and did not obey. So what is common? They both sat in the teaching of Christ. They both were likened to a person who built a house, and they both experienced storms. Next, what was different? What was the difference in these men's lives? First of all, one did what Christ said, the other did not. We refer to that. One heard and obeyed, one did not. That was the difference. Number two, one built his house upon a rock, the other built his house upon sand. One heard and obeyed. One heard and did not obey. One built his house upon a rock. The other built his house upon sand. Another difference. One man's house stood firm. In fact, it did not shake or fall. The other man's house fell and was ruined. The other man's house fell and was ruined. Again, what they have in common They both sat in the teaching of Christ. They both were likened to build a house, and they both experienced a storm. What was different? One did what was Christ said. One obeyed. One did not. One built a house upon a rock. One built his house upon sand. One man's house stood firm. It did not shake or fall. The other man's house fell and was ruined. Now, let me give you another important difference. This was mentioned in Matthew, not in Luke. One man God called wise. The other man God called a what? A fool. Now let me ask you something. Which one are you? Now remember the person who heard and obeyed, God called that man wise. But the person who heard and disobeyed, God called that man a fool. Luke 647, whosoever cometh to me, heareth my sayings, I would do and doeth them, I would show you what he is like. Matthew says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I will liken him unto a wise man. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, he shall be likened unto a fool. So as we come to the word of God, we need to ask ourselves, will I be a wise man? Or will I be a fool? Or will I be a man who builds his house upon a rock? Uh, and when the storms come, I can stand firmly and not even be shaken by it. Or will I be a man whose house is destroyed and falls? Which one will I be? So, so far we looked at a thorough examination, an important observation. Number three, number three. Now let's look at an essential 
ingredients. Oh, this is the application. The application by two essential ingredients. Here's something. The Lord changes something in his ministry. The Lord begins to teach through parables. There are 35 parables given in the New Testament. And here we have one of the, one of the first ones mentioned. Prior to this time, he taught, but not in parables. But now he begins to do something different. The disciples immediately noticed a change in Jesus' method of teaching. They came to him and asked him directly, why are you teaching in parables? If you would, please go to Matthew 13, please. Matthew chapter 13. Page 1361. He changed his teaching methods. Now he's teaching by parables. So first of all, what is a parable? What is a parable? A parable, the word parable comes from two Greek words, the word para and bolo, a balo, excuse me, which together mean to throw alongside of. A parable, like an illustration, makes a comparison between a known truth and an unknown truth. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told a story, a common to all people, and then threw alongside of it a biblical truth. So he taught in parables. Now, why did he teach in parables? Why did he have such a change in a ministry? In fact, look in 13, verse 10, please. Matthew 13 and verse 10. I had you turn there, but I did not turn there. Give me a second here. Matthew 13 and verse 10. In fact, notice here the disciples, noticing the difference in his teaching methods. In verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, the Lord gave three reasons. These reasons are not in your notes. They're not on the screen. But if you want to listen carefully or write them down, you're welcome to. He gave three reasons why he began to teach in parables. The first reason is to convey or communicate revealed truth to his disciples. To reveal and communicate to those that believed in him. To convey truth to his disciples. In fact, look in 11 verse 8. He answers the question, why are you teaching in parables? Chapter 13, verse 11. He answered and said, Unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word mysteries means a truth revealed for the first time. Here, Jesus reveals truth never known in the Old Testament. These were not mysteries to God. They were mysteries to the uh, disciples. So he began to teach mysteries Truths that are revealed for the first time to those that accepted him as the Messiah, to those who wanted to follow him as, as a disciple. So the first reason he spoke in parables is to reveal, communicate truth to disciples. The second reason was to conceal or hide truth from unbelievers. He spoke in parables to hide truth from unbelievers. The secrets of the kingdom would be given to the disciples, but would be hidden from those who rejected him. Look again in chapter 13, verse 11. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Notice the last phrase, but to them it is what? Not given. Now, in fact, even what those who rejected him had previously known will no longer make sense to them. 
Look in verse 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall it be given, and he shall have more in abundance. But whoso hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So basically, God, Christ began teaching parables to reveal truth to those who believed in him, but to hide truth from those who rejected him. Now, the question is uh, demanded here, why would God hide truth from the unbeliever? Why would he reveal it to the, those who wanted to follow him and serve him and live for him, those that believed in him, but those who did not? A good question. Here's the answer. It was an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy. To hide the truth from those he foreknew that would reject him, he was to have mercy. The Bible says, to much given, much is what? Required. The more scripture you understand, the more God requires of you. And so God foreknowing the unbeliever who would not trust him as Savior, would not believe in him, he hid truth from them. I believe the hottest place in hell or the most suffering in hell is not necessarily those who live a terrible sinful life, though they will suffer. It is a person who sits in church every Sunday who hears the word but does not obey it. Because the more you know, the more you're held accountable. And that's when you withheld it. God knows these religious leaders, the Pharisees, would not accept him as Savior. So he hid the truth from them as an act of mercy that they would not have severe judgment upon them. So why did he hide the truth from those who do not believe in him? An act of mercy. So the first reason he spoke in parables to reveal the truth to those who believed in him, to hide the truth to those who rejected him, and thirdly, to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. To fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Look in verse 14, please. Now, by the way, I'm going somewhere with this. Don't let me lose you, okay? Don't just kind of begin to fade me out. Don't let me lose you. It says in verse 14, it said, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and shall be converted, and I should heal them. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. So he spoke in parables to reveal truth, to hide truth, and fulfill Old Testament scriptures. Now, here's a question. How can I be certain that I'll be the one of the ones he would reveal truth? I don't know about you. I want to know the truth of God's word. I want to know what God has for me in his word. But how can I be certain that I'll be the one that he conveys the truth and not hides the truth? Good question, isn't it? How, let me give you two essential ingredients to be a person to whom he reveals truth. Number one, the willingness to obey. The willingness to obey. In verse 12 of there of Matthew, it says, For whomsoever hath, to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him it shall be taken away, even that he hath. It, the word hath not, have what? Those who has shall be given. Those who have not shall not be given. So what, what does he need to have? 
I'm glad you asked. Back up in verse 9, please. Here's what you need to have to have God's truth revealed to you. Verse 9, he that hath ears to hear, let him what? Back up here, please. He's not talking about this piece of skin on the side of your head. When he says, he that hath ears to hear, ears to hear is this, a desire to know and a willingness to do. Ears to hear is a desire to know the truth and the willingness to do it. That's what he means. He that hath ears to hear. Because he that hath ears to hear shall know. He that hath not shall not know. Interesting. I hope you, this is in there. I hope it, maybe write it down. Maybe on the screen. A willingness to do always precedes the understanding of God's word. Write that down. Highlight that. Don't miss it. That's worth every dime you got here. It says a willingness to do always precedes the understanding of God's word. Here's a verse. John 7, 17. If any man, Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether it speak of myself. If any man will do his will, you shall know. So basically, the willingness to do what God says always precedes my understanding of it. If God knows you're not willing to do it, he won't reveal it to you. So that's a key I want us to do. In fact, Matthew 13, 16 says this, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. How can I have eyes that see what God says? How can I have ears that will hear what he has to say? By my willingness to obey it when I hear it. Verse 17, look what it says. I love this verse. Again, Matthew 13, 17. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have seen, seen not, it says, and have not seen them, and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Listen to me, please. The teachings of Christ and the apostles, we have truth that the Old Testament saints long to hear, long to understand, but it's not revealed to them, but it is to you. But what you need to understand them is not only a desire to hear, uh, understand, but a willingness to do. Listen to me, please. Here is a key. If you want to have an insight, remember David prayed, Lord, open my eyes, might behold wondrous things from it all. If you want the word of God to become alive to you, I mean, in truth, it just, wow, come off the pages. You should approach the word of God with this attitude. Lord, the only way I will not do what you want me to do is if you don't tell me. That should be your attitude. Lord, the only way I will not do what you want me to do is if you don't tell me. You tell me and I'll do it. My friend, the willingness to do always precedes the understanding of. You want to have greater understanding of the Bible? Come to it with a willingness to obey. Now, obeying God is like building a house on a strong, solid foundation that stands firm when storm comes. There's the key. How to stand firmly? Obey the word of God. Now, here's a question. What's the foundation? Now, remember, those that heard the word and did it, he said, I liken him unto a man who built, who dig deep and built his house upon the rock. What's the rock? Jesus Christ is the foundation. Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, Isaiah prophesied this. Isaiah 28.16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a, for a foundation, a stone, tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure stone. The foundation is Christ. So when I come to the word of God, and come and hear what God says, I need to have a willingness to obey. Now, let me give you some motivations to obey. Have I lost you yet? Don't let me lose you. Now, what is required of me to be a person that God will reveal truth? When I come to the Bible, I come to church, come to Sunday school, I come with a heart, with a willingness to obey. Let me give you some motivations to obey. Can I do that? First of all, the first motivation here is uh, a sure foundation, the ability to stand firm in the storms of life. A motivation to obey is you'll receive the ability to stand firm in the storms of life. Notice he said over and over again, both in Luke and Matthew, the person who heard and did stood firmly. So I can have the ability to stand firm in the storms of life. My friend, again, we all have storms. Many Christians, look at me, please. I don't know about you. I've seen many sit right where you're sitting today that went through a storm in life. And because God allowed that, they become bitter, they become resentful, they become angry at God, and, and, no, and now no longer doing anything for God. They're no longer standing. My friend, what, how do you respond to storms? How do you respond, respond to difficulties? Are you standing firmly? It is based upon, when you come to the Bible, that you're willing to obey. That's like in the man who stands firmly. Obeying God is like building a house on a strong, solid foundation that stands firm. The second result, the second result. So the first result, motivation to obey, I can stand firmly when storms come. The second one is the reception of God's blessings. The reception of God's blessings. How many want God's blessings? What's the key? Obeying God's word. Luke eleven twenty eight says this. But he said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You want God's blessing in your life? It comes from obedience. Many of you know James chapter 1. I'll be on the screen. James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only, deceiving your own self. Verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be what? The blessings of God in the life of the believer comes with obedience. When I obey the word of God. Number three, the third result of obedience is experiencing true happiness. Experiencing true happiness. Jesus said in John 13, he said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. There are some motivations. I'm just about done here. Please listen. We're looking at two essentials to be a person that God reveals truth, that the truth of God comes open alive. The first one is a willingness to obey. The next one is a readiness to submit. A readiness to submit. We know that in the very first verse we read, 
in Luke 6, 47, Jesus said to these disciples, he says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Basically, if I want God's word to open to me, the truth might be revealed to me. I begin to understand things of God's word. I need to have an attitude of the willingness to obey it and the readiness to submit. The Lord, whatever you say, I will submit to. How many of you like cafeterias? And there used to be one. I don't think I have any. Remember Morrison cafeterias? I used to love going there because you could pick and choose. I want that. I want that. Leave, I reject that. So many of us come to the Bible that way. We come, I like that truth. Oh, I don't like that one. Oh, I love that one. I'll not take that one. My friend, that's not the way to receive blessings. That's not the way to stand firm. You come to the word with a willingness to obey and a readiness to submit. Lord, again, the only way I will not do what you want me to do is if you don't tell me. You tell me and I'll submit. You tell me and I'll do. This is talking about the Lordship of Christ. Allowing him to be the Lord and master of your life that comes after salvation and my decision now to obey. Let me conclude with this, and we'll look at one more verse, we'll be done. In conclusion, Jesus presented two options open to his listeners. They were now responsible for what they had heard and must make a choice. They could build on one of two foundations. One foundation is likened unto a rock, the other to sand. The foundation determines the ability of the lives to be able to stand in the storms of life. The rock foundation presented the Lord himself, excuse me, represented the Lord himself and the truths he taught. The sand foundation represents a life lived outside of God and disobedient to his word. In the storms, the first gave stability. The second would result in destruction. The first one, God called wise. The second one, God called a fool. We looked at a thorough examination and important observation and then application by a thorough central ingredients. One more verse, and we'll close. Go with me now. Let go of all of the verses. Now go to Romans 10, please. Let me give you a submission required for salvation. We looked at two key ingredients for me to be a person that can stand strong in the storms of life, to be a person that can God reveals and opens his truth to, be a person that God calls wise and not a fool, the two key ingredients was a willingness to obey and a readiness to submit. What's your attitude when you come to the Bible? Oh, that it might be that. But there is a submission required for salvation. What is it, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Are you in Romans? Romans 10. Look in verse 1. We'll finish in verse 3, and we'll wrap it up. Roman page 1593, if you're using a church Bible, page 1593, verse 1 of Romans 10. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God is for Israel. It said, for Israel is that they might be what? Paul had a sincere desire for the Jewish people to be saved. Paul was a Jew and wanted his Jewish brethren to be saved. But notice what he says about the Jew, verse 2. For I bear them record that they have the zeal of God, but not according to what? You know what that reminds me of? Of a Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witnesses have great zeal. How many of you had a Jehovah Witness knock at your door? How many of you had a Baptist knock at your door? (laughs) 
They have greater zeal to reach out with their false teaching, but they have great zeal, but without knowledge. But read the next verse. Speaking to the Jew, not the Jew. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, here it is, and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What's he saying here? Look over, please. What he's saying about the Jew, and this is true of many religious people, they think you have to be good to go to heaven. It's my personal righteousness. It's the lifestyle that I live. It's the things that I do that will earn salvation, that will get me to heaven. It's my own righteousness that will save me. And the Jew and many religious people are going about to establish their own righteousness. By the way, what does God think about your righteousness? Isaiah 64, 6 said it's filthy rags. I'm going about to establish filthy rags. But many people today think I'm trying to be good enough. To, I'm trying to earn God's salvation. I'm trying to be good enough to go to heaven. And, but it says here, but they have not submitted themselves unto God's righteousness. What does that mean? It means I come to a place in my life, I understand that I'm a sinner. But you know, I cannot save myself. No matter how good I try to be, me at my very best is filthy rags in the sight of God. I cannot save myself. I'm not going to live my life trying to establish my own righteousness to get to heaven. I'm going to submit myself to God's way of salvation, to God's righteousness. The righteousness you need to enter heaven is given to you by faith in Christ. And be found in him, Paul says, not having mine own righteousness, which are the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the way to go to heaven is through submission to God's way of salvation. Realize I cannot save myself. I must trust Christ to save me. And when I do that, he'll give me the righteousness I need for heaven. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. God imputes to you his righteousness when you put your trust in Christ as Savior. And in God's eyes, I am now as righteous as he is because he's given me his own righteousness by faith in Christ. Close your Bibles, please. My message today was primarily to the believer, encouraging you how you can stand firmly and to stand firmly in the midst of of storms. I look out among you, and I know many of you as your pastor, you're going through hard times, whether physically, financially, whether it be work, or many of you lost loved ones. You're hurting. And yet so many Christians have been right where you're at, abandon the Lord. They fall by the wayside. They quit serving the Lord, because if that's the way God's going to be, I want no part of them. They could not stand firmly. But if I want to stand firmly in the storms of life, if I want God to consider me wise and not a fool, if I want God to reveal his truth to me, what do I need? I need a willingness to obey and a readiness to submit. When you come to the word, my friend, and you want to be able to stand in the storms of life, Lord, as I read your word, or you go to church and you hear the preaching of his word, or you go to Sunday school and you hear the teaching of his word, I'm coming today with a heart to obey and a life to submit. Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. And God calls that man wise. God calls that one, he'll stand firm. But if you're here today, you never trusted Christ. 
Maybe you've been going about life thinking, I've got to be good to go to heaven. I've got to obtain a certain standard of right living for God to accept me. My friend, quit going about to establish your own righteousness and submit yourself to his way of righteousness. How? Trust Christ as your Savior. And the moment you do that, God imputes to you his righteousness and heaven becomes your home. Let's bow together, please. Christian, do you approach the Bible like you do when you go to a cafeteria? Do you pick and choose? Do you pick to obey those which you like and choose to disobey those you don't like? My friend, that is a road to destruction. That's a road to have a life ruined when storms of life come. I want to encourage you to purpose in your heart to be willing to obey, to be ready to submit to God's word. That's laying a foundation to stand firmly when the difficulties have come. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ, I would plead with you, I encourage you strongly to submit yourself to God's way to heaven by trusting Christ as Savior. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not of works, as he mentioned boast. Why not trust Christ as your own hope for heaven? If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Why not trust? Why not submit yourself to God's way of salvation by accepting Christ as your only hope for heaven? You can do it right now in a simple prayer. If you like to do that, in your own thoughts, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. As a sinner, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I realize Christ, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment I deserve, he took upon himself. I believe when he died, He died for me to pay for my sin. And he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me, to forgive me, and give me a home in heaven. I'm submitting myself to his way of salvation through Christ and him alone. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as Savior? His heads are bowed and eyes closed. I like to know that. I want to pray for those who made that decision. And so if you did that today for the first time, you trusted Christ as Savior with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm waiting to put on the spot. Would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? You know what all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? You know what all? Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your word. A simple passage with profound truth. And Father, all of us, as we said at the beginning, or going, or have been, or soon to go into a storm. Help us, Father, to be able to stand firm. And that comes based upon what we do with the Word of God. With our willingness to obey and ready to submit, that lays a firm foundation to stand firmly in the storms of life. Help us, Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.